This is Caroline from Daily Review. This is Paul from Daily Review. And this is Mike from Pop Culture Review. And we are talking about The Outsider, Episode 3, Dark Uncle. How are you guys doing? Scared. (laughs) This episode, I think, definitely took a turn into the much scarier, not so much a true crime story, is definitely something more supernaturally. Very much so. What did you guys think that this Dark Uncle title meant? Well, I thought it tied into the Holly's theory about the doppelganger and, and her various explanations for the the definition around the world and kind of giving it legitimacy that it's phenomenon that's unexplained but kind of ubiquitous in cultures around the world. I thought you guys, since they before really did feel more like true crime and we were really doing like a lot of forensics, this time did it feel like we went pretty heavy into like more like myth or beliefs? Holly's whole thing, the scene with Ralph and Alec, she really gets into the idea of the doppelganger, talks about it being a non-biological double, but she says, I think she may even use the word myth. She's definitely putting scare quotes around the idea of it but also presents it in a way where she clearly has looked into it. I mean, she gives, what, five different translations of the word across different languages, the Irish fetch being like her favorite version of Doppelganger. Um, Mm -hmm. And she presents it as a myth, but if true, very much suits what she sees the Terry Maitland case as presenting as. Interesting. I just thought that the, and we're definitely going to dive deep into this Holly Gibney character, but her obvious obsession with religious and or superstitious and or belief type like idols and pictures and like things that she puts around the house, little statues, little whatever, all those things just felt like it's bringing like a whole bunch of things like religion and cultural beliefs and stuff like just kind of yanking it all into the story beyond just like our laws. I can explain a little bit where her character comes from in the books, but I don't think it's relevant in that I read an article that you sent me, Caroline, about Stephen King and his relationship to the show. In that article, the director outlined that although Holly exists in other Stephen King books, he only took the character as presented in this book and made made this character out of that alone. I guess trivia to know that she comes from other books and what she was like in those other books. But this is a new character, kind of with the same name, who does some of the same things, but shouldn't be thought of as exactly the same person. Specifically in that article, it said that the one stipulation that Stephen King gave was simply that she keeps her name, Holly Gibney. Other than that, he was 100% fine with them changing her in any way that they wanted to. So that, to me, implies she will be different. Although she's very much the same. (laughs) (laughs) So far. So far, so good. Before we get started with the talking about the show, I wanted to bring up some of the differences that I've noticed in the book and the show as reflecting on last week's episode not looking at this and it's really just like trivia we can talk about whether or not it makes the show better or worse or what one thing that spoiler warnings here if you haven't read the book and you're one of those people oh we're not looking forward though yeah we're only okay that's true back but yeah it's kind of spoilery if you plan on reading the book one thing that mike mentioned was the differences in all the names lots of name changes particularly in terry's family he's the only one that keeps his same name also the tamika character she was Betsy in the book. The lawyer so, Howie's name has also been changed. Right, right. It was, like you mentioned last week, it was Howie Gold in the book. So yeah, just a little bit of name changery there. The other thing that Mike mentioned last week is the the book took place in Oklahoma and Georgia in the show. And the this is sort of a meta reason that I could think of for that. And maybe you guys can say, nah, that's bullshit or whatever. But if you look at this year with The Watchmen, HBO has been pretty severe on Oklahoma, bringing up Oklahoma's worst ever race riot in the history of the nation as like, welcome to Oklahoma. And then here right. they're ba- they're kind of painting Oklahoma police with a kind of a, a bad brush. You know, they're not all Ralph. They're more like everybody else, right? Willing to go with the most convenient explanation rather than trying to find the right guy. Maybe they just thought, well, we only let's we already kicked Oklahoma in the balls once this year. Let, let's move it because it doesn't really matter. Another another look at that, and I don't know if HBO would shy away from this or not, but there's a moment in the book where the DA is talking about the legitimacy or believability of Willow, the cab driver. 
Mm-hmm. Her name is enough to tell you that she is Native American because it's like rainwater or something like that. That's exactly what it is. And uh, the, the DA says something like, how's a jury supposed to believe her? A lot of people in this state still don't trust Native Americans or something to that that effect. By sidestepping the location, they didn't need to bring in any of that o- o- Oklahomans are jerks bias that would be there if they had. Yikes. I had I, I didn't put that all together, but I'm glad that you did about Oklahoma. And may, I feel like you could be completely right that they chose to keep it out of Oklahoma when they already had another show right before it in Oklahoma, given everything was negative about it. I feel like the GBI, which has figured actually pretty prominently in the show so far, it's like the Georgia State version of like the FBI. It's like their forensic team. Yes. Um, is actually, I think, a, a kind of a well-known and well-portrayed television and movie medium and i had the thought that if they were going to be using it as much as they seem to be that they maybe had easier time with the state of georgia getting permission to use it georgia has become quite the friendly place for film and television to film in Um, it may administratively just be easier to set things in georgia to use georgia assets presumably they're probably filming in georgia but i like your explanation too because you know the watchman really did kick oklahoma in the teeth (laughs) (laughs) well see two differences uh two more one slight one big the slight one is that the peaches crease was called gentlemen please in the book whoa (laughs) and now forever will be in my head also (laughs) and then the other one is pretty big but you know this is this change speaks to probably uh jason bateman and his skill as as a television producer in that it ramps up the stakes and by that i mean in the book Derek is not dead he's just at camp interesting yeah but that changes that, ralph's motivation so much for me a lot i think ralph's like motivation especially in the first episode was largely fueled by the loss of Derek, which he's still not over and we even saw it in this episode he starts off he's at the cemetery so you know, this is clearly a central core of his character in the tv show it happens, but it's not often that, that a TV show gives you a deeper characterization of a novel character, but we got it here. Tonight's episode, as they all are, was written by Richard Price, but was actually ed- directed by Andrew Bernstein, who is actually directing this week and next week. He's doing three and four, at least. I think he's actually doing six episodes. He had previously directed several episodes of Ozark, so there's ah. that, Jason, that Jason Bateman connection again. There's definitely some stylistic tendencies. That reminds me of, a, of, of, a, of an Easter egg in the book. When the policemen run through Terry's computer looking for pictures of little boys and things like that, they go through his history and they see that his favorite show was, guess what it was? Ozark. Ozark. <laughs> I was going to say Hogan's Family. Oh so. my God. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Nana Weems? We talk about Bert's Nana Weems all the time. Bert was Jason Basement's bed friend. I was actually thinking about direction and directing in this episode because there were some there were some interesting stylistic choices, and I, I was curious if you guys picked up on them. There, yeah. there were t- two notably uh, when they're in the diner, when Ralph Ulysses are in the diner, and he's showing him the photo evidence from the barn with Goo Terry's buckle and all that stuff in the law office when the four guys are together in the brain trust, and then the camera pulls out, and we're hearing their conversation kind of muted through the wall, through the glass, um, through the window of the law office when they're first talking about bringing in Holly. It, it was a really interesting choice that they pulled the camera so far away as to barely be able to hear the conversation. It was almost like we were very much like an outsider on those conversations. It makes and, me feel mm-hmm. like we're a little bit like the goo man. Like we're like standing out there watching them. It was know? very much, I felt very much like we were having that kind of POV, kind of mm-hmm. like when he was in the background at the court scene last week and he was in the background when uh, the dad killed himself or tried to kill himself uh, by hanging. Felt very much like the goo man with those two stylistic choices. And there was kind of like a lot of like the camera sneaking around a corner. Like when we came into Holly's house, we came in from like under like a end table that had stuff and then we kind of came up and like swept alongside of it and then came around it's all like as if you're like hiding and kind of peeping around the corner good old jack hoskins angry man of the cherokee pd when he gets out to the barn finally and man did he take his time after a little stopover at the the peach crease uh (laughs) where, where he chastised the the stripper and wants her to dance to the humpback whale song oh my god because she's that when she i think he calls her like an oxy head who's like just like moving around on the stage. So he eventually makes it out to the barn. You know, the camera starts doing some major horror movie 
camera work with the sound and the lighting and the darkness and it's just a flashlight guiding his way and then he sees definitely sees something and he pulls his gun but then you know he pulls the flashlight up and the and the figure is gone really good camera work really good direction though too uh, I was just thinking about Jack because he had kind of an isolated arc. I think all the other characters kind of interacted more. He only really had, I think, four scenes, and it was it was like a an escalation on the previous scene. So mm. he he makes his way out to the barn. He he sees the figure, but then it's gone. But then he senses something is behind him, and you can see the shadow of a there, there's a shadow of something in back in the background, but really nothing concrete. It's almost like a it almost felt like a tangible shadow, almost like a Peter Pan kind of like thing. Like a goo shadow. Like a goo shadow. Mm, uh, like a, the it, shadow could be made of like gel. The noise that they're making on the soundtrack sounds like a stabbing of sorts. Is that how you guys Yes, that's what I heard. Yes. So we were assuming yes. that Jack was a goner. Did you guys think he was dead? No, I did. Because no. I was like, oh my God, he's killing Jack. Did you guys think he was like, wee, 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 killing him psycho style? I did not. Okay. I did not. Because of how they introduced Jack last week as being so nasty and belligerent. Yeah. Um, he had like a big red flag of potential villain. Mm. When this happened this week, my first thought went to he's going to be the new Goo Terry. We saw those marks on his neck. What do we think's going on there? What is that? Looks like an infection or, or something growing, maybe. So mm. At first, I think it looked like a rash, but mm-hmm. then it, or a then, burn. Like his skin was starting to bubble. Yeah. You couldn't really touch him, even when he went to put like a band aid or ointment on it. He like screamed and howled in pain. Yeah, it was like and, uh, like a chemical burn kind of ish thing, or it was like bubbly mm-hmm. skin. Yeah, mm-hmm. and increasingly getting worse at the episode. I mean, by the end of the episode, when he's muttering to himself, um, you know, the episode ends with him saying over and over, "Whatever you need me to do," over and over again. You get a good look at that neck. Man, he does not look like he's in good shape. For whatever reason, what came to mind with those, like, I thought I saw, like, two holes, almost like fang-ish, like, holes or something. Like, they, it looked like something was, like, injected or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys it, saw that. It looked like, like there was some kind of puncture wound, but then it puncture, looked so- yeah. It looked like rashed around it. And then in the later scenes, like there's actually like bubbles or boils on top of his skin, though, too. Mm. Um, it almost looks like the kind of thing that like monkeys get and then spreads to the population. You know, like that's <laughs> monkeys get. like some sort of pox, a like, monkey like pox. An, a monkey like, pox? They're the worst kind of pox. Like out, I was thinking of the Dustin <laughs> Hoffman uh, classic outbreak. Didn't that, I think that started with monkeys. Yeah, it looked like something that was not something you want. But it did leave a question for one. But Jack spent a lot of time for an officer's spends a lot of time in the strip bar. I was thinking the same thing. A lot of time. That's like, hilarious because I'm like to, the only I'm the only girl and I'm the only one thinking like, yeah, that tracks. Well, maybe a try. I mean, I'm sure there are guys that spend a lot of time in strip bars on the normal, but not during working hours. Not when you're the only cop. I mean, I guess Tamika was back at work, but she's on crutches and just gave birth. Jack is really the only detective that police department has. How much time can he really spend in the strip bar being so drunk he falls down that the security guard that the bouncers are taking bets on him falling over? He is not a good police officer. That, that was my takeaway. police officer. That we will all agree. Agree. He is neither a good man nor a good police officer. No, he's, no. A, he's a piece of shit. Uh, I think for <laughs> sure, and only going to get worse. I think that has to be the guess, right? I mean, he was not a great guy to begin with. Yeah, but he, here's my question mark. I think there has to be something a wee different about him than just the next Terry, because Terry would have known he had boils, punctures, yes. all this kind of stuff. So he's not presenting the same. So there's got to be something different here. This can't have tracked the same way. Glory would have noticed if his neck was becoming like you know like a flesh eating organism was like eating away at his neck or giving him a rash. Right. Or if he started known. screaming, whatever you need me to do, whatever you need me to do. <laughs> right. just All howling. of those things. As we went to the title card, he is just screaming and howling in pain. You know, if Terry had gotten that from the little cut on his wrist in the hospital, uh, which is when we were told last week that he may have interacted with goo Terry, I-, I think it would have been a lot more significant. Does that mean and- that there's multiple types of goo people? Or does that mean that the goo person can affect people in different ways? I think B. B? B. I think it's definitely the same goo man because it was in the same spot where we saw the abandoned clothes there could be a goo family for all you know i mean i'm saying you could have goo wife and goo children (laughs) you don't know you don't know what the goo people are up to maybe there's a goo whole you know a whole gang of goos i don't know for every goo man there's a goo woman i I mean one would think no (laughs) it's behind (laughs) every goo man there's a goo woman right 
Yep. <laughs> Stabbing him in the neck. And him <laughs> Puncturing his neck holes. My guess is, the, especially with the chanting of whatever you need me to do, seems much more like he is going to be possessed than be a doppelganger. Yeah. I, yeah. Something's way different with Jack. Did you pick up on when Jessa is talking about her interactions with the quote unquote man, presumably the same man we heard from last week at the end, you know, Ralph has his bravado up at the house and he says to her, you know, if that guy does come back, you tell him if he wants to send a message, tell him to come to me and leave you alone. I'm not scared of him. And she goes all like all Yoda on him. Like, you will be, you will be. <laughs> but but she says to him, she said, this little Jessa, this little cute little girl says to him that the man makes her angry. And I really couldn't get out Paul's theory last week about him spreading malevolence. Um, made me think that Jack starting off as such a malevolent spirit, just based on what we have seen of him, that this is maybe the kind of ripe soul for the goo man to take over versus Terry who seems to be a good guy uh, Glory has a whole scene where she breaks down with Jeannie talking about how he was just such a good dad maybe he wasn't possessable so maybe the best goo man could get was being a doppelganger taking his face mm. um, whereas Jack is kind of ripe for it because he's already a piece of shit crazy <laughs> alright well Jack's definitely a piece of shit I agree with you there when you get your <laughs> when you get your card punched that many times at the peaches crease you're on my shit list people. and then you spend all your time at the Peach's Crease, and then you go and you brag on the stripper who's dancing for you. Don't tell her she needs to go dance the humpback whale songs. That's not polite. I'm pretty Come sure on. he was calling her a whale. <laughs> he was calling for them so... to put on like the, you know, like the, the whale, the whale sounds. Song. Like, yeah. Yes. You know, like those sounds. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. To the guy who didn't like the screaming last week. I don't know. They have whale songs. What do you that, guys think about just starting right off at the barn? Were you excited to see that as our opening shot? Or were you like, oh, Jesus? Well, I'm glad we're picking up right where we left off. The most interesting shot in that whole thing, I thought, was the crispy cum sock. Ooh, ouch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that's that's some kind of next level cum, you know? <laughs> right. Now, they said right. later that they thought it was semen, but it wasn't. See, but that's where everybody's mind goes, because of the sock. Because of and... you guys. I have, so I hear this is the man's way. Women don't well, have a cum sock, okay? Don't knock it till you try it. I don't even know how to try it. I don't know either, but that's a different podcast, whatever. <laughs> I think that was significant. But why do you think it's significant? What 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 about a crispy sock is significant? Just that it was able to change the like molecular structure of the sock such that it crusted it over and cracked it. You know, like freeze drying something. Mm. You know, that's not just goo. That's not just motor oil or all the other things that Ralph guesses on later on when they're in the diner and he's talking buddy in the GBI. Very few liquids that are coming off of someone or that are easily accessible can do that kind of damage to something like a sock that it's snaps in half well now the the goo whatever it is is in the system with the cops i don't know that it will do much good there but at least it's there and it wasn't before right we've documented your goo goo man you're in the system consider yourself uh, in the system it was very ghostbusters 2 i thought it would like the good goo and the bad goo ah yeah you know did anyone watch ghostbusters 2 the happy like, goo you had to sing yeah. anyone god of course we did and that's how they get the you know the statue of liberty to walk through the streets of manhattan so i think this is definitely bad goo I'm not crazy about the fact that it's in the police department, you know, mm. but maybe that's why Goo Man wants Jack so he can access and get back his goo stuff, mm. right? Because he, he sends a message to Ralph to stop, presumably to stop looking at going, you know, stop looking into his case and trying to chase after him. He takes out the other police officer who maybe he has under his control now. Maybe it's because he doesn't want to be in the system. Well, I, would th- I would think he wouldn't want to be in the system. That's not, that's not good. When Goo Woman sends Goo Man out into the world to do goo things, she probably tells him every day, don't get in the system. And don't leave your crispy <laughs> socks around. That's what we all yeah. say. Is this your do crispy sock? Do it in the goo bathroom, like like a civilized person. Don't be an animal. Live in a barn. Given the nature of Goo Man's crimes, I don't know if Goo Woman is is really in the picture. (laughs) <laughs> oh, hence the no. need for the sock oh, oh, no. right. oh, it comes full circle you guys what do we think about the belt buckle and the fingerprints and this whole concept that it's the same person's fingerprints but as an older person does this introduce the concept of time travel or what i think this introduces the idea that whatever goo terry is he can only hold that form for a little bit 
and then it starts oh. to starts to soften. Starts to degrade. Yeah. I mean, I think you combine that with the fingerprints. There's a combination of Terry Ancient and Young Terry, the way they describe them. But then you describe it in the three times that he interacted with Jessa, mm-hmm. where he looked uh, like her father. Then he looked less like her father. He looked messy. And blurry, which is how we saw him at si- out, right outside the courthouse, mm-hmm. where his face, he looked disfigured. He looked gooey. You know, his face was kind of melty in that scene. Mm-hmm. She saw him again. He looked completely different. But inky, uh, which makes me think that and muscly well she saw him he was muscular she kind of intimates that he had like tattoos and like it makes me feel like goo man now is goo jack instead of harry and that was that was the form of i think if you showed jessa a picture of jack uh, jack the cop i think she would say that that was the man she was talking to Mm, okay does jack have tattoos did we see his i don't don't know but he strikes me as someone who's very muscular though he i mean so i was just kind of putting See, the person who i felt like i thought we saw with tattoos although I know that this doesn't exactly track, but the prisoner situation, the white prisoner, didn't he have tattoos? I'm trying to think of who we saw on the show that actually had tattoos. I think he did have had tattoos. And, you know, they spend a lot of time in the beginning of the episode showing him arriving at yeah. uh, the way they were like busting them in. It made me think of Shawshank Redemption. And then, you know, they spend a lot of time on him coming off of the bus, carrying his stuff up. Really, he almost seems like he's gunning for, for the inmate who is right now is still unnamed from the beginning of the episode. From the moment he arrives, almost like he's at that prison for one mission and one mission only yeah. to get the quote-unquote child killer. That whole um, part where he actually takes the shiv out from like oh. under his own skin. <laughs> yeah. I did not like it. Yeah. Did not like it. That was serious. Like I, I had made myself sweet and sour chicken. And so I was eating like red, gooey, fleshy looking stuff. And when he like reaches his finger into his own fucking calf, I was like, yeah. no, dear Jesus, yeah. I wanted to just eat my dinner. The calf muscle should not to be used as a shiv pocket. That Ooh. is not what we have calves for. Ooh, that was and so it, wicked. But that's so Stephen King. He's he is so messed up. Was that, am I right? Was that a like a pregnancy test that was had been carved into the shiv oh jesus i don't know oh jeez. look at it again what okay yeah. that's crazy town one i think it had like a little bit of like a pink edge to it but i feel like i had the window where he would show like one line or two why would you do As that like, maybe he has a kid so that's why he wants to kill the child killer and he carries around the shiv in the form of like his wife's pregnancy test this is bizarre <laughs> i don't know your listeners if you're out there look at it again i think i think it may have been a pregnancy test uh carved into a shank and i am not gonna be team pregnancy test i think that sounds bizarre and not nearly strong enough to actually kill someone with later as a shiv oh you can make anything a shiv if you sharpen it enough uh, but it's plastic it would break in your hand you can I make it that, sharp i mean look at look at what uh the inmate is able to do with his uh eyeglass I- <laughs> It's a weird one. That is a super duper weird one. What do we think of the prisoner, this inmate who we don't really know any details about him. We see that he's reading a book. Yes, it was Lost in the Maze. Which is a real book. Uh, Looks like it was self-published by a guy named Gary William Ramsey in uh, December of 2015. Uh, A reviewer wrote, This important book is timely with what's going on in the news and the world today. ISIS has infiltrated the government with sympathizers and is planning to take down the U.S. government. Spellbinding and terrifying in that this could happen. So it's a a government conspiracy sort of... um, Fiction. Sort of book, yes. It's a fiction novel. But interesting thing for this guy to be reading in the in the thing. So, and, I mean, and- you're asking about the inmate. What I figure is that this inmate has been accused of killing children or child and is Goo Man's other um, victim. Or, or former. Right. An, an additional victim. So, you know, he knows what's going to happen because. And I guess, you know what, you guys, this is why. Remember I asked in episode two that I was so surprised that they had killed Terry when they bothered to have the inmate be like, child killer, I'm going to kill you tonight. And they just had him like sleep, like kind of laying there with his eyes open. And I was like, mm-hmm. that was kind of unfulfilling that like, remember, Paul, you were like, oh, that yeah, that guy didn't even get his chance, you know, because he didn't come back to the jail. But yeah. that sets us up for the idea that now as the audience member, we know that this is something that happens. Other prisoners would be eye spying you. It sets up this exact scenario for us to understand 
oh, he was coming to kill him because he was a child murderer. Right, and, and we see because he gets the drawing, the childlike drawing that, you know, has child killer scrawled on it. And that same scene where we see him reading the Lost in the Maze book. You know, Holly, part of her investigation, she goes to Dayton to look into the story about Terry Maitland visiting his father, Peter. We learn we learn a couple things when she's out there in Dayton, but specifically as it relates to his inmate, she's doing some research. She finds about the same time in early March of that year, when the Maitlands were out there, two sisters had gone missing, the, the Williams sisters we learn. And then in a subsequent news article, we find out that both sisters were found dead in a double homicide. And then in the final headline we get to see, we see a picture of the inmate we had been watching all episode. He's in this news story. He's, he's flanked by two police officers. And the headline is Monster. And we learn that he's been accused of the double murder of the two girls. In the headline, we saw that they were both tortured and sexually abused. It also says that he is the hospital worker, which puts him at the same time and in the right place when Terry Maitland would have been uh, received his transformational cut in the hospital when he went to go see his father that we learned about from Maya last week. My timeline theory is uh, it's a goo inmate who is raping and killing children. He knows he's about to get caught for the murder. He transfers himself or somehow copies Terry. He takes advantage of Terry being there at the right time moves his way down into Cherokee, kills the boy. Now that Terry himself is dead, he needs to move on again. And so he has now settled on to Jack. Well, I'm curious what you guys think about the whole aspect of Peter Maitland being involved in the police. I, I was lost by that. It, it seemed related, but then it didn't seem related. When she goes to the when she goes to the senior center, she wants to see the father. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then that woman turns on her. She gets really nasty about the reporters and this and that, and there were cops. Is that related to this story at all? Or is that a whole other thing that we don't know anything about? I bet it's related. I hope it's related. I, it- I don't know what it is. If it's like, I remember, did you ever read Gone Girl? Did you ever see the movie? I did both. Yes, both. Remember how the father figures into that story in the book kind of a lot? He keeps showing up, but in the movie, it's like it's like not even not a thing. Mm-hmm. But he kept getting out of his of his care facility, and so that would cause like a minor emergency in Nick's life whenever he needed to deal with that. So I wonder if Peter got out, caused some sort of ruckus, and needed to be put back. And because if if he caused enough ruckus, reporters would come and be like, "How'd you let this guy?" out i thought he was supposed to be under your care or whatever hmm. or do you think it's more than that no i mean i would i think it's probably more directly related like if the inmate that was just killed which i do we know his name do we have a name so i can call him something anything if mm, if that guy I the accused of the two girls worked in that facility i would think that it would be more that there's gonna Maybe Peter did something bad or whatever. Something happened within the facility that somehow got the police called or somehow there was like an incident or something. I don't think just getting out is good enough. I think there's going to be some evil doing that happens. The one thing, and it seems significant, that she, would, she wouldn't she would let uh, Holly know anything about Peter or see him, but she drops that his Alzheimer's ramped up in early March, which is when the Maitlands were out there. Right. I, I was wondering what you guys thought how that played in did goo man have something to do with the alzheimer's ramping up was he changed like i i I was really at a loss for a theory it's all important it seems it does feel all important but it also feels like i kind of feel like we this episode feels a little bit like a setup episode where they give us like a ton more puzzle pieces but i don't know that anything fits in yet it's like i do agree with you that the fact that he was going downhill starting there at that point in time there's like there was an incident in the actual uh, facility during that time that all seems important but I don't feel like I have quite enough of the puzzle pieces to understand why that would relate and where we're gonna go but it's very exciting to have more and like expand our universe into Dayton and other people and the facility and the inmate and all that stuff I feel like that's like okay this is a much bigger story than just like one doppelganger one Terry situation at the very least they've created Created a, a situation where even if someone gets to question him, it's probably not going to do a whole lot of good. Usually those sorts of things, those sorts of scenes wind up with the person saying something enigmatic mm-hmm. and then that triggering something in the person doing the questioning and then, they, then they're then they off you know, chasing that down. 
even if we get to talk to them, I think that's all we're going to get. Agree. And I, I kind of like that they have now created unreliable witness in that facility because who knows what he saw with the inmate and the goo man. And so maybe he was even telling people about the goo man. Maybe not unlike Jessa, Peter being older and having some cognitive difficulties or something would be considered more childlike. Maybe he could see the goo guy. Maybe he understood more. Maybe he could talk to him. That kind of stuff. So maybe... Maybe uh, he couldn't deal with it. You know, Jessa is a young, presumably fresher mind and body. Maybe someone who was already in a state of declined health, maybe an interaction with the goo man is what ramped up his Alzheimer's. It wasn't that he could handle the interaction better. He actually handled it much worse. Mm. You know, the goo man maybe tried to use him in some way and it broke Peter. Could be. That's totally plausible. In the beginning of the episode, we see that the senior center, because Ralph is also investigating this, even though he's on leave and, you know, it's interesting. He lies to his therapist about what he's been up to. We, we see that he, the senior center is called the John C. Land Senior Center, that that name bump for you guys on anything? Did it mean anything or ring with any significance? I thought it was interesting that they showed it to us, but I didn't know what it what it might mean. Paul, does it sound like anything from mm. King Universe stuff? Doesn't doesn't stand out. I also was curious that they dropped this information. So, uh, you know, it's kind of like Chekhov's gun. Ralph mentions that Maitland's father, Peter, had been arrested for aggravated assault in 1985. That's an interesting detail to throw in there. And I was curious, why are they setting that up? Or are they just trying to paint this character of Terry? Terry might be a killer because his father was arrested for aggravated assault some 30 years ago, 34 years ago. Finally. So here's John C. Landon. The very first entry under Google says that John C. Landon is an American intelligent design author and internet troll. That's pretty funny. <laughs> it's the kind of place you, you kind of guy you'd name stuff after. <laughs> I love that it says internet troll. Could you imagine if you looked yourself up and it said you were an internet troll? You'd be like, who knew? Who knew that? Like, oh my god, you did it enough to be <laughs> right. called that. Did a pretty bad job. <laughs> Trolling, trolling. Right? right? I wouldn't know who you were. Well, that's weird. Okay, all right. Well, we'll have to keep looking that one up. A asking about Peter and his record. That's a good question. I mean, I think that it, you know, then he's had interaction with the police. That means his prints are in the system. Maybe there could be more to the linkage of all these being brought into the legal system and everything. Seems like that's a big part of this. Don't know. Where would, where would old Peter get entangled? Do you think that it means like he could have like some sort of bad heart or something? I mean, so like maybe he, maybe well, there's like an attraction to people with like negativity in their hearts somehow. That's where I kind of took it, piecing the Jack Hoskins theory of malevolent spirits that the goo guy maybe tried to possess the malevolent body of Peter Maitland but proved too weak and fragile and goo man ended up breaking him and so he wasn't viable so he had to move on to either the hospital worker or, or something else or or Terry you know the next line of the Maitland men for whatever reason you know maybe he tried Peter and then moved on to his son but it fit with the aggravated assault 1985 note in the beginning of the episode seems to maybe fit with being attracted to the Jack theory of why maybe he's going after Jack mm -hmm. super weird I, don't know, I think at this point I think it's just a lot of guessing you know it's a lot of aha well it's just know. the puzzle you pieces <laughs> yeah I think this part is just like collecting in our notebook okay okay now we have this we've got this new character now Peter was just an idea before but now he's like a full character with plausible like need to go visit him the big thing that we haven't talked about at all really is is holly what did you guys think of the character and her and the actress you know portraying her for me she she seemed like a, an instant favorite i really liked her character but i was curious how you guys thought her introduction went i liked her i thought that she was somebody who seemed straightforward and the way that she saw the world seemed intriguing and um fresh and like something that she was going to really bring something to this group of like four old men who were just sitting around that room. It felt like she was going to really shake things up, be able to just bring in a lot more information. And that's what we're all wanting. And I like her. I like her mannerisms. I like the way that she talks. I like the way that she interacts with other people. I like all those things. I think that she's intriguing. She's not exactly like a picture from the books. She does act like the in the, in the book with someone that at once is capable but struggles with being around people but then doesn't want to just not help where she can. 
Does that make sense? Yeah. And that came across in this representation of the character. At once, I think she's probably insecure around people, but very confident in what she knows and what and her place in the greater sequence of things. So she can act. She doesn't need to be afraid of, of whatever it is that she's insecure about. I also liked her. And the actress, I think, nailed a lot of That's affectation, funny. you might call them, just the kind of the, like she had a, a very f- uh, uh, flat kind of face when, when she was addressing people mostly. And yeah, I, th- I think she did a really good job. Uh, the actress is uh, Cynthia Arrivo. Arrivo. Uh, I don't know her Arrivo. from anything. I didn't know her for from anything either. She seems like she's like the shot in the arm that Ralph is going to need to kind of get back on his horse. And just, I think, narratively, she seems like she is going to be a, a really important asset for moving the story forward. She certainly sees things a little differently all the time, which you could tell right at the beginning made Ralph like so uncomfortable. Like when they were in that booth scene, he was like shaking his leg, looking around like so uncomfortable. Everything said like this is like stupid though i appreciated so much that after she was like pretty much like i know what i know and then she did kind of lean back after she walked away and said like thanks for you know drinking something to make me feel comfortable like i appreciate that um i liked her already but i really appreciated when she did that me too you know, I, I, I think I think, I think it really humanized her and made her i don't want to say lovable but like that's a good egg that does that most people in that same kind of scene don't don't return to to thank him to one call him out which is unnerving to him but then also thank him for his behavior. I think that for me, it also sent home the idea that she notices everything and it's not just dates and it's not just TV shows or sporting events or something. She noticed and paid attention to everything. So I don't know that it was like a caring remark as much as it was like she noted it and she knew that that was, you know, not the way people who didn't want to drink uh, would behave. And so that was very cool of him to do that. So she addressed that very, very subtle, small thing, but it made me have a lot of faith in her in terms of really picking up on all the subtle clues that might be around. What did you guys think of her backstory, the way she related it? And and for here, there's really two questions. One, she she kind of lists what I feel like are superpowers. Uh, she, you know, the three things that she, she lists off that she can do, which obviously is only a small facet of the things she could do, because we see her, you know, her our very first scene with her, she's eating her dinner, staring out the window, and she's just naming the detailed statistics of every car on the road. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it can give you the rock lyrics and chart positions on every rock song from 1954 to the present. She can identify the height of a skyscraper from a moving car within six inches. And she can give you day of the week that May 1st will fall on in two, 204 years from now. Which one of those was your favorite, if any? Or, or most impressive? Or most The impressive. building one for me, I thought the being able to judge perspective and time or or uh, in the distance and all height and all that stuff that that seemed pretty cool see and that's not what i clued in at all i listened to the thing she said but then i listened to that next part where she said and i don't like heights and i'm um i couldn't tell you what today is without looking at a calendar and i don't like rock music right and i don't enjoy music so for me i was like okay then this lets me know again that she has these parts to her that she can't help but listen to and pay attention to and make note of. But these aren't things that she's like working on, like honing her skill or it's it's all natural. And I think that that's mm-hmm. when in the police enforcement kind of world, I think the idea that she would just naturally be able to unravel the case is really wow you know it makes me want to watch her and pay attention to her you know i'm impressed about the rock lyrics but i'm more impressed that she doesn't like it at all and she remembers it because there's people who obsess on things and they they can remember it also like that next sentence because i think you know in in the context that she described it in i mean it was following when she talks about how she you know her parents submitted her for testing i mean that's how she talks about it from the age of four to eight she seems like she was a kind of a guinea pig for a whole field uh, battery of scientists. Then she lists off these things that she can do. And then she finishes by saying, it's not because I, you know, I'm afraid of heights. I don't like music or I don't like rock music. It was all to rebut because Ralph is being kind of, I don't know if he was being a dick to her, but he was being very standoffish or, or ill at ease. There with was her no and, buy-in and, about her or about her skill set. No, he didn't. At, well, it. Right. And the way that she talked about the mythology of the doppelganger and she couched mm-hmm. it as an if mm-hmm. that, you know, that's really what set her off. She she describes her entire childhood and all of these things 
really as a defense, but also a street cred of, so when I choose to say if, step the fuck off, I know what I'm talking about. And so if I choose to say if, because I choose to say if, and you just have to deal with what I've been through, these are what I can do, even if I don't like it. You know, it's my prerogative and you just have to kind of deal with it. Ralph says something like he has no tolerance for the uh, unexplainable. her, and that's what sets her off, is that she says that she, she's nothing but unexplainable. Which, yeah, the whole part where he was like, so your parents were trying to you someone you're not, basically, you know, by like taking Cure this- you of being yourself. Yeah, and I think that, mm-hmm. I think that's a big part, I think like, like we have to touch in on the fact that she's she's most likely on the spectrum and Paul and I are parents of two kids with autism and for sure that concept of trying to cure you of who you are is a big thing in our heads that we talk about a lot. You know, what what parts do you, in theory, go to therapy for and try to change? And what parts do you just say, it's completely okay that you see things and do things differently than other people. We don't have to train that out of you. That's That's not, that's you and that's completely okay. And I think that's why when she says like, this is me and I say it how I want to say it, I, that's so celebratory of differences without being so overt in a world of let's put diversity on TV. It's just it's just a layer of her that you can just appreciate or not. And I appreciate it. Is it in your experience knowing uh, obviously your own children, but being then in that world and and presumably interacting with parents, with all, with children on the spectrum, have you found parents like Holly's parents, the way she describes them? And if so, are they more the norm or more the exception with how they feel about their own kid, their own kid? There's a range, I think. There's not a, that doesn't make any sense, a universal acceptance of what autism actually is and what it means to your kid. There's some people that treat it like a disease that is curable. Um, if you just do these right things, what did we see? Or you could be healed of it is like a big part of it. Like that word healing, healing them of it. Yeah. There's, there's a thing, uh, out there called the sunrise method. Have you heard of this? Mm-hmm. I haven't. Do you know what? That's actually what it looked like they were doing, Paul. Sunrise. Look, she was in the, something like look, that. She was in the room by herself and adults would come in and all that stuff. Wasn't that almost exactly the sunrise method? S- yeah. Yeah. Can you, um, can you just take us through that? Cause I actually never even heard of it. Disclaimer. We are not involved with Sunrise at all, and we have never gone through it ourselves. So just for any of you listening, if this is a program that's worked for your family, wonderful. It was not something that we thought we could commit to. We didn't think it would work for our kids, but this is something that some people find they felt successful for their family. Sunrise method concept is is that the kid stays in this room all the time time is it like a sink or swim kind of thing no no it's it's meant to adults come and go and you're actually supposed to like enlist the help of like your neighbors and your friends and everything and so like adults like rotate out but the kid stays in that room and it's meant to create a dependency on relationships that the kid wouldn't naturally form because they're on the spectrum but it is the idea of curing the the person with autism of of their condition that that you um, could somehow nurture override the nature of it yes that's just one example of people approaching it in that way i'm not going to say anything good or bad about the sunrise method i'm just going to say this system sounds a lot like what they but, were yeah and the whole concept trying. like if you remember the the room that they showed her in and i'm just putting out an assertion that maybe this is what they were doing that room was white and it had pretty much nothing going on. And they had like one toy on the desk. And it was like, that's the whole method is that it's like low stimulus, totally like nothing to look at except for dealing with this other adult who you are like interacting with. Trying to, she's eating her dinner and she is watching the cars and rattling off statistics. You are looking at that as a good thing. Paul and I would look that as stimming. Like she's just heating things that she knows out loud. You know the term stimming, Mike? I don't actually So it's know just, it's like, it's, it's comforting. It's something that you are repeating something. Maybe it could be something off of TV oh, okay. or it could be something a movie or in this case it could be facts like so maybe you've seen in other shows where kids will talk about one subject like dinosaurs are blah 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 and they're just talking it soothes them yeah it soothes well because them. It's, it's, a, it's, just, a, it's a coping mechanism yeah and so she's sitting there eating dinner she's just zoning out practically just kind of rattling off facts about things she sees around her it's interesting because when i watch that i i totally see that that what that was but she also seemed very satisfied with herself though oh yeah as she was doing oh yeah no at you the know, end of she, those things she was high-fiving herself mentally yeah no when, it, it's when it's a 
they do it because it feels good. So yeah. at the end, it's like, yay, you know, like that. that well, was and it, cre- it creates some amount, like you said, soothes. It, it cre- how it's been described to me is a person on the spectrum's mind is always in some, some amount of state of anxiety because there's so much stimulation coming in that they can't control that doing the stimming is sort of like their way of creating a little barrier of what they can control that makes them feel comfortable in their own space. Like kids often have like physical stimming, like like the stereotypical f- flapping hands or, or whatever. rocking. Yeah. It was interesting though, and I wanted to bring this up also, they, they really made a show of her parents and, and really more her father watching her through the screen. So it seems like they really had an extended relationship really through this monitor and that in her formative year, that was the impression I got anyway, because later on you see after she leaves them in the restaurant and she puts her hand on the railing and you get that close up of her nails and I was curious what you guys thought about why they focused on the long nails. Um, it dissolves into a picture of her father walking away from the monitor where he had been watching her as a small child being tested, you know, worked with in the, in the clinic sur- uh, surrounding. And he puts his hand up on like the wall to brace himself almost. And I, I was curious what you guys thought of that, if, if that kind of symbolism. Are we going to see her father more? Was her father later on an important figure in her life? Is she just mimicking things that maybe she saw him do? I don't, there was, there was a lot of significance when she's in the stairwell there, but I, I couldn't decipher what the significance was, but it's yeah, it seemed way. Perhaps it's for just foreshadowing. The way that it was cut, it almost made you think, like they were suggesting that her touching that thing created some sort of connection where she could feel something about it or, or something like that. But you're probably right. It's triggering triggering a memory, possibly. Yeah, I think. It's, but it's foreshadowing to tell us more of her story. That makes sense. Her father uh, was actually credited in IMDb and was given a name for this episode. That whole thing together made it seem significant, either as a memory or some kind of foreshadowing. But I I think we're going to see her father again in some kind of way. Interesting. Well, definitely. I mean, we have to mention that she has that. I don't know. Synesthesia. Maybe it's, you know, it's it locks two senses together. So maybe when she's touching it and they're showing it specifically, she's touching this. And maybe it's not just triggering a memory, but also you experience that touch in multiple ways and multiple senses. So she might smell a smell when she touches that touch that isn't there, but it like triggers it or she sees something or hears something because she touches it. That's like built into her particular challenges. Mm-hmm. Did the long nail strike anything other than, I mean, they focus on there, but we see them earlier also where in an episode where the direction and the camera work seem to be very specific in how they were framing shots. Not at this uh, point again, for me, it, but I would totally put it down like under her like bio list of like things to pay attention to as we go along. Like where could this play in later? Because I just feel like this is a lot of setting us up for the next step. Things did happen here, but certainly not in the same way that happened in episode one and too. I just feel like we were given a lot of good, good building blocks that are like, ooh, I can't wait for them to explore that part. In a lot of ways, this episode felt almost like a reboot of the series that we have now concluded with the true crime portion of the show. And this was the first episode of the rest of the show's life. Mm. Phase one is now done of uh, The Outsider, and we are now entering phase two mm. um, with this with, with this new character, with the inmate with more information about Goo Man, with the Jack thing. It seemed like we we're transitioning to something very much not in Ralph's corner of expertise, but maybe um, something that Holly is going to be much more equipped to deal with. So it, you're saying that anyone out there that is still looking for a non-supernatural explanation to the to this mystery is, is probably out of luck. Anyway, yeah, I agree. I think going forward, this is not going to be a second gunman on the grassy knoll science explanation for what happened so far in the series wow we're like think, all about bringing up the jfk in this because we brought up jack ruby in the last one i think we're full tilt into this now we're grassing nulling it grassing nulling it with a goo guy but i think this episode very much firmly introduced that this is going to be a supernatural explanation and a and a supernatural roller coaster ride going for hey there's a couple little like little parts that that we didn't talk about that i want to make sure we do hmm. what do we think about the fact that i know you just said like sort of it's sort of like okay so terry's situation is kind of like come to a close and we're moving on to like this other thing however we went back with glory and we're dealing with this school situation with the principal and the girls basically being asked to leave how are yeah. we feeling about this like is this something that we think they're just trying to keep it grounded in some realism because that's true. Like, what would be the aftermath of someone being wrongfully accused? What would happen to their family? Is it interesting as a viewer to have them go down this route of continuing Glory and the girls' stories 
as it relates to being a members of the community and how you would be shunned or the ramifications of what's happened? Getting kicked out of school, for one thing, means that that school has chosen to very willfully deprive the children of the free and appropriate education they are guaranteed. So, Sounding like a true special needs dad. I would <laughs> sue like the fate, fuck out of them. Fate. That was exactly what free I thought. Free and appropriate education. It, all it smelled like was a big fucking lawsuit to me. Uh, <laughs> do you guys see Gloria actually that. doing that, though? Or do you, like, what do you see her doing? I see Howie Solomon doing Ooh. it. I think Howie Solomon, you know. Do you I think it's it's interesting, Definitely. though, for viewers that we continue down this road of like, what what are the ramifications of being accused of a crime? And you never oh, even yeah. get accused. You yeah. never even get a day in court or anything. I was glad that she stuck up for herself as she was as she was leaving the room when the teacher, you know, shittily says that you, know, you have to pay for the sins of the parent kind of thing. Oh, that was a I bad like that glory. Jab, man. I like that Gloria stopped and was like, "Sins, fuck you, bitch!" Like he was innocent. You know, that was kind of her tone. There's no realistic way the remaining Maitland members continue to live in this town. They have to move that way. They have to. They will never have a normal life. No matter how much people come to see Terry was innocent, no matter how many statements the police will make down the road that he was wrongfully accused, they will never have a normal, healthy life in that town. That is destroyed. Yes, I agree. It pissed me off. It really actually made me. It was actually one of the like more emotional reactions. I was really, really super annoyed at that whole scene. And I, I hope that she goes to Howie. I hope you that are mad that schools sh- behave that way. Furious that the idea of we're tossing your kids because they're being bullied. The the logic just drove me crazy. I would burn that school to the <laughs> ground in the middle of the night. <laughs> and then no one gets to go to school. Uh, how do you like that teacher? So. <laughs> nice. Paul and I homeschool for very specific reasons on this front because, yeah, I because you've burned down other schools. Well, and I think no this is super realistic that administrators act like my yeah. hands are tied. What what can we do? Yeah. It's out of our hands. We can't possibly control the children, like or adults even, or people who work for us. Like, there's nothing we can do. And you're like, you can control right. no one in this building. Like, that's insane. And we trust them with you every day. Oh, thank you. Part with. With the Andersons and Glory and the girls, because I think this is a really interesting um, additional, you know, outside of like our main plot, talking about grief and talking about how, you know, these two families have both experienced grief, which I think is an important change from the book then, because if Derek was just off at camp, this would not be, you know, a point of them having any type of uh, bonding over. But I feel like them, you know, coming over and of course, the whole Jessa part was important to the plot. But the aftermath of, of Mrs. Anderson, Jeannie coming over and just talking a little bit about like, how are you getting through this? And like, I'm not really doing very well. And, you know, just sort of just talking about grief, I think, is a small, small moment in a very loud, chaotic show that I think that people, I hope, will be able to hear and, and pay attention to. Do you think that these women talking about grief, do you think that that's going to end up playing anywhere into the actual larger plot? Of, will it become anyone's motivation, grief, generally? Well, I think we saw grief being a motivation for a plot when Ali put on the mask and the sunglasses and tried to shoot them down. I, I, you know, I think that was the negative explosion of grief for this show. Uh, I'd like to hope that, you know, the reason they had the school scene with the teacher and uh, Glory and the reason they had not only the first scene with Jeannie and Glory where, you know, Glory lets Jeannie talk to Jessa, even though she won't let Ralph talk to her, but then has Jeannie come over again and follow up and check in on her. I hope that signals that they're going to continue their storyline so that we can continue it. Because I think I think that both actresses are great. I think it was actually very well done. And I think it is a nice tonal shift from the rest of what's going on in the show. You know, it does feel um, like, if- like, again, like that grounding in reality, like everyone as weird as it is to say, like the grief part was the part you get to take like a break, but a little bit because your brain's kind of like, you know, reeling over Jessa has this person talking to her in their bedroom and it's like, oh, it's like just talking yeah. about like human emotions for a minute feels like, OK, that's better. I can handle that for a minute. You know, right. I have emotions. Had a guy talking to her in her bedroom who looked just like her dad, mm-hmm. you know, like like that's that's like next level mm-hmm. strange guy in your room talking to you. You know, look just like my dad, but I knew he wasn't my dad. Whoa. Moving forward, it's, I think it continues to drive Ralph to create what he's what he what he thinks is sense of right and wrong. They keep showing the the grave, so it, maybe it's like painting this idea of what he feels that he owes Terry. You know, at this point, I think that's it. 
moving forward, I, I, I don't know where grief is, is going to add much more than that, though. Ralph, and, and I think the whole grief thing with Jeannie, especially in as a place in the Ralph, is, uh, is, you know, their grief is about Derek, which has nothing, you know, completely predates the show. What did you think about him lying to his therapist about one, you know, work, working on this investigation when he's supposed to be off the, um, and remember, this is a therapist to get him his job back. But more importantly, the flashback that we see him have of just railing on the guy in the bar after he tries to break up the fight and then ends up getting in the fight himself. What did you guys think about that? Did you think he tried to break up the fight and then ended up getting in the fight himself? Or do you think he went over there and started punching? Well, he puts himself in between both guys and he puts his hands on their chest and he separates them. Right. But it looks it looks like then there is some kind of it looks like some kind of comment was said. And he was such a powder cake that that's all it was <laughs> to turn the rage back on. Okay. You know, I, I think Ralph is a lawman first. I don't think he's Jack. I don't think I don't think he's Jack by nature. But I think at that point in time, you know, clearly he was just dealing with the fresh death of his son. I don't think it took very much for him to be like, what the fuck did you say? And then go to town, you know. We uh, had a very town. similar thing happen, actually, in another show we're watching. So I feel like this is this is interesting. Men folk looking for a fight. You guys think when Holly was in the hotel room, she's in the room that the girls were in in Glory. And she sees their interaction. Did she really see that? Or was that just her playing in what she thought it must have looked like in her in her own mind? I, I feel like we're going down a supernatural road, though. Are they going to give Holly some kind of separate from her autism, quote unquote, superpowers, you know, like they do in The Good Doctor? Are, are, are they actually going to give her some kind of perceptional, you know, she, you know, time, time is a construct kind of ability for her. You know, mm. it was presented in a way, and I asked because they present that scene in a way where I felt like we were supposed to take it at face value that that is actually what happened versus mm -hmm. just her imagining it. I don't know. Is it possible that when she, you know, walked into the room and she like felt any of the kids like belongings or stuff that she could like envision it? I suppose I don't know, or 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 was it like? I mean, that would go that would go along with your theory of a sense memory being triggered in like the in the hallway, sort of. But I don't know when. if this wouldn't be a memory; this would be almost something else. But would see the way that it was sped up, what the kids were doing was sped up. I think she's staying in the room in Dayton that the Maitland stayed. So there must be some sort of like I don't know, like vibes or something. Echo. Yeah, something, yeah. something there where she can feel the movement of the room, or like you said. You know, imagine a family getting ready to go in the morning and you just sat there and you just like thought about that. And this is what she thought it would look like. The girls getting ready, the kids, you know, everyone walking around. I mean, I guess I, I took it more like that she was just trying to walk through their day and, and was like mm -hmm. physically putting herself in the places they were and trying to like go through the natural steps of what they would have been doing and then try to continue to feel that out. Okay. Uh, less supernatural uh, and more just like just the same as like a, like a detective would try to kind of walk back through and be right. like okay so then i think she would have probably come here and then they probably would have done this like that's what i think but more from like a sense you know standpoint right. a detective's approach to it but with someone with a particularly attuned and exceptional mind for detective work i think that's what they were showing us tonight i think holly just happens to be not just your average pi i think she happens to be an exceptional private investigator yeah i think that's why uh, Alec Pelly suggests her and how he is on board with her, even though he thinks she's a, what does he call her? A full tilt bull goose loony. Yeah. That was... But also great at her job. <laughs> I mean, way, way to be woke in the 21st <laughs> century, Howie. Jesus Christ. Uh, well, you know, I mean, I think, again, like she brought in other things other than being on the spectrum for sure. She had all these other layers of, you know, the religious statues and these obvious like superstition kind of cultural items and stuff that really made you feel like she believes in or at least leans into tapping into any layer, you know, whether it be spiritual or, you know, um, a legend or whatever. Like she's going to think about it from every point of view. That does come off too much to most people. That's too extra for most people. The very last thing I wanted to bring up um, because it made me think of you, Caroline, actually. What? I can't uh, imagine. In the bar scene, when she's serving, when they when they have the shots, she wishes them to your health. In Lithuania, she wishes them, she says, Iskata, which uh, I think spelt out is actually S-V-E-I-K-A-T-A. Oh, we say, um, we say Sveikas, which is our... That's the word, they were pronouncing it differently, but that is what the word, that is the phrase yes. that they were saying. And she's to your health in Lithuania. <laughs> 
And I thought if you- we say spigas like all the time, like with like when we do like our New Year's Eve like toast and stuff like that, we say spigas. Yeah, we do say that. You know, saying it in a different way. Like I, my ear didn't catch it at all. Then in that same way as familiar, Holly's got her own way of doing things. So for God's sake, I'm That's gonna it. I'm gonna accept and her I, for who she is. And I like that that she said, and then and then you say it back to me. Uh, yes, you know, like see? she was, she was she, it was very funny. It's so sweet. Like there's. There's going to be this layer, I think, with her of saying things like above board like that, like that unfiltered. She's so practiced, I think, at how to how to probably behave like other people or what's like societally acceptable that to say to someone else, okay, now, like the appropriate thing for you to do is to say that back to me, you know, is like, how many times did someone say that to you? You know, like it's a very therapy way of doing things. So when our kids were little, whenever we we were in speech therapy, we would constantly say, say juice. We'd say it like that, right? And so then when our kids would want something, they would come to us and look at us and they'd go, say juice. They wouldn't <laughs> just say juice. They would go, say juice. So it's That's almost really exactly that move where you just, you tell someone else what your therapy told you to do. Well, this was another intriguing episode of The Outsider, and I think that they continuously outdo themselves every week. This one was only one episode, and I feel like we've got a lot to unpack, a lot to think about, a lot of little puzzle pieces to try to put together. And I know we we right now kind of just did like shots in the dark, really, because we've got to get more here to, to really understand what's happening. But we appreciate you guys listening. This is Caroline with Daily Review. This is Paul with Daily Review. And this is Mike with Pop Culture Review. Night. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open and we'd love to hear from you. Clubhouse.